Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm going to be your host today. Let me tell you, we're so happy that you're listening in today. In fact, if this is your first time listening or you'd just like to reach out, feel free to shoot me an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. Well, today's a great day. We're starting a new series called Making a Messiah, The Closing Arguments. We've spent time in the book of Mark looking at stories of Jesus's power and in Matthew reading stories of his teaching. Now we're moving into the things that Jesus said about himself in the book of Luke. Today, we're looking at the biggest question that anyone will ever have to answer. Who do you think that Jesus is? And in today's message, we'll see how Jesus redefined what it means to be the Messiah of God and what it means to follow him. Let's listen in to our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. I hope you guys believe that stuff. I hope if you don't, you will. It's critical. Let's pray. Father, so grateful that we can be here today. And I pray that you will sense that we are trying to honor you. That you'll accept these offerings as we have received your grace. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Okay. Sometimes we ask the, the wrong questions. There was a missionary, I guess, down in South America. It was flat out hot. It was getting hotter. And so the missionary asked the people around there if it was okay to s- swim in the river to cool off. And he asked the people, are there piranhas in the river? Will I be in danger from the piranhas? And they said, no. Piranhas are only dangerous if they're in schools. And they never swim in schools around here. So the missionary would go down every afternoon and swim in the river. Till one day he heard of a guy who fell out of a boat nearby and he just disappeared. So again... Nervously, he went and talked to the people there, and he says, was he eaten by piranhas? The guy said, no, we told you. There are no schools of piranhas around here. They never swim in schools when there are so many alligators around. (laughs) 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 That means nothing, except that sometimes we ask the wrong questions. And sometimes it's not just about having the wrong questions. Sometimes you absolutely have to have the right answers. Okay, guys, it's one of the greatest movies of all time, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. How many of you guys agree? Okay. How many of you guys can quote it? My son can. He, could, he doesn't need any kind of a script. And I know some of you guys don't think it's funny, but you are weird. Okay. Bottom line, it was selected as the second best comedy of our time on the ABC special Best in Film. They had Airplane as number one, which I think was a mistake. It belongs in the top ten, but the number one should have been Princess Bride, right? Okay. Anyway, there's this famous scene. King Arthur and his men have to cross the Bridge of Death in their quest for the Holy Grail, which is protected by this vile troll. To cross, they have to answer three questions. Answer any of the questions wrong, and you die. Lancelot, the bravest and the noblest of the knights, he goes first. Okay? Stop. Who would cross the bridge of death must answer me these questions three. Ere the other side he see. Ask me the questions, bridgekeeper. I'm not afraid. Well, what is your name? My name is Sir Lancelot of Camelot. What is your quest? To seek the holy grail. And what is your favorite color? Blue. Right. Off you go. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And Robin in the background says, that's easy. Stop. Who approaches the bridge of death must answer me these questions three ere the other side he see. 
Ask me the questions, bridgekeeper. I'm not afraid. Well, what is your name? Sir Robin of Camelot. And what is your quest? My quest is to seek the Holy Grail. And what is the capital of Assyria? And there's this pause. I don't know that. And off he goes into the ravine. Next, stop. What is your name? My name is Sir Galahad of Camelot. And what is your quest? I too seek the Holy Grail. Well, what is your favorite color? Well, it's blue. No, yellow. And off he goes into the ravine. And the bridgekeeper chuckles. Stop, what is your name? It is Arthur, king of the Britons. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. Well, what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? What do you mean, African or European swallow? Well, I don't know that. And off he goes into the ravine. <laughs> now, if you guys don't find that scene funny, you need to watch the movie. And if you watch the movie and you don't find it funny, come back and we will lay hands on you and we'll pray for you. And if you still don't find it funny, it's possible you are simply cursed by God. Sometimes it's not enough to know just the right questions. Sometimes you do have to know the right answers. You have to know the right answers to get where you want to go. For the last two months, we've been making a case for Jesus the Messiah, the making of a Messiah, as Jordan said earlier. What are the evidences that support his claims? We started out by looking at his godlike power. If Jesus really did the stuff the eyewitnesses say he did, and he did them the way that they say he did it, he is way more than a man. Then last month, we looked at his words, the kind of things Jesus said with godlike authority. And if he really said that stuff, then Jesus was either the craziest man that ever lived, the most sinister liar who ever lived, or he really was God's Messiah, as he's going to claim. This month, we're going to dig into what we're going to call the closing arguments. See, up to this point, Jesus has been just dropping these breadcrumbs. Now he just flat out says it. Now he throws it in their face and he says, it's time to make a call. Choose. Who do you think I am? Jesus says. I'm telling you, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I have come into this world to save you. Are you willing to admit that you need saving and are you going to let me do it? Is what Jesus asks. He's getting close to the end of his ministry on earth, so he presses for a decision. And for some mind-blowing reason, he accepts whatever decision we make. Although we're going to have to live with the consequences of whatever decision we make. Now we're going to start out where Jesus kind of turns the corner in the story of Jesus and all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he just kind of lays it out there. These are big questions, huge questions. We're going to start off looking at the biggest question ever asked by anyone of anyone. And he's going to have an answer of every single one of us. And only one answer is going to get us where we want to go. So here we go. If you've got a Bible or a, an app on your tablet or your phone, look up Luke chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 18. If you don't have a Bible app, I really recommend the YouVersion Bible. The, right there, it's free from the App Store. It's absolutely amazing. 
Luke 9. We're going to start at verse 18. Jesus says one day, or Luke says, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples are with him, and he asked them, who do people say that I am? Who do your friends say that Jesus is? Your family, your neighbors. Who do the people that you listen to say that Jesus is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Others say you're one of the other ancient prophets who's been risen from the dead. And he says, then, who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. It means Christ. It means anointed one. It means the one who has been chosen, sent by God. So Jesus actually asked two questions. One of the big questions is this. Who do those around you think he is? And then he asked the biggest question ever. Who do you think he is? And if you think about it, these are really pretty weird questions. Because I'm telling you guys, if Jesus really is the Messiah of God, if Jesus really is the Son of God, if Jesus really is the embodiment of God on earth, didn't he already know? Doesn't he already know? Doesn't he already know what your friends think about him? Doesn't he already know what you think about him? Or is it that he just wants us to be aware, to think about it, to open our eyes, to really listen? I mean, what if Jesus was here and he asked you that same question? I'm serious. What if he were to say, what do your friends think about Jesus? What do the people that you hang with think about Jesus, the people you listen to? How about the people you look up to? Your teachers, the people whose lives you follow on TV or YouTube, the people whose music you listen to, whose books you read. What do the people that you surround yourself with think about Jesus? Do you know? And maybe they're like, well, Obviously a pretty good guy, preached about love and all that, but I'm not going to obsess over him. Or maybe they're like, well, he had to have been incredibly smart and gifted, great with words, otherwise we wouldn't still be quoting him 2,000 years ago, but that's all, he wasn't like God or anything. Or maybe the people you listen to are like, I guess he really did lead people to God, and if you want to follow him, he will probably lead you to God, but there are other ways to be spiritual, aren't there? Or maybe they're like Jesus. He's a charlatan. He's a hack. He's a predator on the weak-minded. He was a man with delusions on, of grandeur on steroids, right? Or maybe we hear this one actually a lot. He was just a guy. He was morphed into a god by his disillusion or delusional and his desperate followers. Or maybe you're pathetic enough to need a Jesus, but I don't. Or maybe most of the people around you just don't care. Jesus? Who cares? What's it matter? It's grandma stuff anyway. Quaint, old, sometimes even regressive. Just doesn't matter. Well, what are the people you surround yourself? What are the people that you listen to? What do they say about Jesus? Or maybe this is even a bigger question. Do they know, the people around you, do they know what you think about Jesus? Do they? Have you ever really listened? Okay. 
What would they conclude that you think about Jesus by watching you? By listening to you? Would they know where you stand? Because that's where Jesus goes next with another really, really weird question. Who do you say I am? What do you think about him? And it's a weird question. I mean, he already knows, doesn't he? He knows what you think about him. You're not going to fool him. If Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God, the embodiment of God on earth, he knows what every single one of us thinks about him down in the bottom of our heart, right? Maybe he just wants us to sort it out. Maybe he just wants us to say it out loud. Maybe he wants us to really take a stand, make a call. Maybe he sees the waffling, the wavering, the equivocating, the prevaricating inside so many of us, and he just wants us to take a stand. Quit playing games. Take a stand. Quit trying to have it both ways. Take a stand. Who do you say that he is? What does he mean to you? Do the people around you know without a doubt what your answer would be? And Peter the Bold, with one abysmal exception, he was bold. Peter the Bold, kind of the Lancelot of old, he was the boldest and the bravest of the disciples. He puts into words what all the rest of them had been thinking. You are the Messiah. You are the one who's been sent from God. Right answer. Is that your answer? You agree with Peter? He's the Messiah, sent from God, my Savior, my Lord. Do you buy that? Jesus is the Messiah, sent from God, my Savior, my Lord. If you're willing, would you read that for me if you buy it with me right now? He is the Messiah, sent from God. He's my Savior and my Lord. Do you buy that? Are you willing to take that stand not only in this room where it's safe, but outside these walls where often it is not safe? You see, it's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to Jesus. It's a big deal to us that we take a stand for Jesus before men. It's part of what baptism is all about, taking a public stand. That's why when people come forward here to accept Jesus or to join our church family, we ask them to say it out loud. I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's my Savior and my Lord. We ask you to take a stand. Let's keep going. You see, what Jesus says next, after they acknowledged him as the Messiah, it blows their minds. He is the Messiah. He's been sent from God. It's out there. We get that. He admitted it out loud. So listen to what he says next. This is weird. Luke says, Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. Huh? Really? You know why? Because of what comes next. He says, because the Son of Man, I, he says, the Messiah, must, I have to, suffer many terrible things. I must be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the law. I must be killed I must die. And on the third day, I will be raised from the dead. And that just raised so many questions in their minds. Don't tell anyone that you're the Messiah. Because I still have to do what no one expects the Messiah to do. You see, back then, they're all expecting a Messiah. They are, but no one expects a Messiah like Jesus. 
He was astonishing everybody. They expected a winner. They expected a hero. They expected a conqueror. Someone who'd come in and make the world right. They expected someone who would clean out the swamp in their Washington. Someone who would clean up their courts, clean up their Wall Street, who'd clean up their streets, smack down the bullies, provide perfect health care for all. That's the Messiah. That's what they expected a Messiah to do. That's what we expect the Messiah to do. And we're wrong. Jesus finally pulls off his mask. He calls himself God's Messiah. And he says, now it's time to suffer. Now it's time to die. I have to. I must. Well, why must he? And we're still that way all of the time. A lot of us say, he's the Messiah. He's sent from God. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. Which means he's supposed to make my life easier, right? So what's he doing? It's God. We want him to recognize our needs and fix them. If we're poor, we want more money. If we're sick, we want to be healed now. If we're in trouble, we want him to help us find an easy way out. If we're depressed, we want peace now. If we're depressed or powerless, we want power. If we're lonely, we want him to help us find a friend. If we feel strong desires, we'd like him to help us find a way to indulge them. We want him to fix things for us. Fixing those little things simply wasn't high on his priority list. He had bigger things in mind. He came to suffer, to die, to rise again, so he could fix things way, way bigger than the little things that we obsess over. I think a lot of us want to call him Christ, but we want to be able to determine his agenda. If we're poor, we want him to punish the rich. If we're Republicans, we want him to judge the Democrats. If we're passionate about prejudice, we want him to eradicate racism. If we want like hymns, we want him to fix or smite those who like choruses, right? If we like a praise band, we want to open the minds of the twits who still like organs. We want to be Christ followers, and we want Jesus to follow us, right? And he won't play because he's got his own agenda. What we think we need from God is way different than what God thinks we need from him. We think he should help us deal with the problems in this world. He's a little more interested in preparing us for an eternity. We want him to heal these temporary bodies. He's way more interested in healing these eternal souls. We want him to take care of our checkbook. He's way more interested in breaking our greed we're concerned with things that disrupt our peace. He's concerned with our sin, which disrupts our peace with God. You see, we want too little. We want too little. Jesus' mission is way more grand. His purposes are greater than our own. So often we don't see our real problems. We don't understand our greatest needs. We don't get how horrific it is to be a sinner and separated from God. We have no notion of the consequences of living at war with God, to face the possibility of separation from God for an eternity. Our kind of God should go to a throne, not a cross. And Jesus won't permit us to change his agenda. Son of man must suffer many terrible things, Jesus said. He must be rejected. He must die. Well, why must he? I'm going to suggest two reasons. There are more. Here's the first. You're going to have to think about this one for a moment. 
He had to die because there's this hole in your heart that only he can fill. Every one of us has a, an itch that we can't scratch. We've got this itch that no one around us can scratch. I have a need beyond what any of you can meet. You know what it is? Every one of us wants to be loved completely just the way we are. Even if they know everything about us. Even if we can't love them back unconditionally. We ache for someone to love us just the way we are. We ache to be purely and passionately loved. You buy that? You've seen it in your kids. This hunger. Your kids mess up. And there's this hunger in their eyes when they look at you. Do you still love me? Do you? You've seen it in the eyes of a prodigal when they try to return home. Do you still love me? We're just past Valentine's Day, maybe the most desperate and lonely holiday of the year. Most people watch the movies, the commercials, and deep down inside they're thinking like, I wish somebody loved me like that. And it never goes away. You can be married for 30, 40, 50 years and still desperate to find a love that is absolutely pure and unconditional because it's one of our most basic needs and no human being can satisfy it. You see, it's hard for any of us to love the way that we want to be loved. Actually, I think it's impossible. Whenever we love somebody, there's always this piece of what's in it for me. We love each other because we get something in return. There's something we get back. So our love for each other is always at least a little tiny bit conditional. I'll love you as long as I'm getting something back. And if you don't love me back, eventually my love is going to fade. How many times have you seen that happen? And our love is never completely vulnerable. I always hold a little bit back so I can protect myself when you hurt me. You see, human love is always a little bit needy, a little bit self-centered, and we ache for something more. And a conditional love will not fill that hole in your heart. The only love that can is so pure, so raw, absolutely unconditional, unendingly vulnerable. You love me just as I am. You love me even when I don't love you back. You spend yourself for me. You give yourself to me because you take joy in my joy. Unconditional, even when I'm not giving back. Radically vulnerable, spending everything, holding nothing back, giving it all away, even when we hurt you. Holy cow. And that's how we want to be loved. But it's a love so pure, so raw, that no person has ever loved us that way perfectly. We need to be loved like we need air. But when my needy love intersects with your needy love, we're both left empty sometimes. And in the end, we're all alike, groping for true love, incapable of ever fully giving it. So there is this hole in our heart that no human can fill. We want someone to love us radically, unconditionally, vulnerably. Someone who loves us just as we are for our sake. Can you imagine how life-changing it would be to be loved like that? Can you imagine how valued you would feel to be loved like that? And here's the deal, guys. That's what Jesus was trying to show us when he must suffer and must die and must rise for us. It's exactly how he loves us. See, God doesn't need to be loved by you back. 
He doesn't need your love at all. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have been knowing and loving each other perfectly forever. Within himself, God has all the love that he could possibly need. He doesn't need our love. So why did he create us? Send his son to redeem us when we turned our backs on him. It's just one reason, guys. It's a different kind of love. He loves us not the way we love each other, not the way we love him back. He loves us perfectly, unconditionally, just the way we are. Vulnerably, spending everything, holding nothing back, giving it all away. He has for you a raw love, a pure, unadulterated, uncut love. Do you buy that? It's hard. Jesus had to suffer. He had to die because the God who doesn't need us loves us that much. He had to suffer and die to show us the only kind of love that can fill the hole in your heart. He's the only one that can scratch the itch that you've felt your whole life. And when you get it, when you experience it, the shallowness of your own love can start to fade. He had to die. Because there's this hole in our hearts that only he can fill. That's one reason. Here's the second. He had to die because there is debt. This debt that we all owe. That only he can pay. It's a debt we owe. Only he can pay. Let me show you. Whenever somebody does you wrong, there's a debt someone has to pay. It's easy to see how it works when we're talking money. Let's say someone takes my iPad and just drops it on the floor and it breaks. Either you have to pay for what you broke or I have to take the hit, right? I can make you pay or I can forgive the debt and I can absorb the cost myself. Someone's going to suffer. By the way, if you break my iPad, I'm going to try to make you suffer, okay? (laughs) This idea works with other things too. Someone hurts you, you can hurt them back. Or you can absorb what they owe you. Someone tells a lie about you, ruins your reputation. You can try to make them pay, or you can absorb what they owe you. Someone robs you of an opportunity. Someone steals your happiness. They take something you can never get back. They owe you. There is a debt that needs to be paid. You either make them pay, which you'll find never really settles the debt, Or you forgive them, but that means you have to absorb the cost. And it just doesn't feel right, does it? Here's the deal. When we sin, we incur a debt with God. It's kind of like we owe God. And either he makes us pay or he forgives us and he absorbs the cost. A debt doesn't go away. Someone's going to pay. Either you pay or he does. Now it makes sense. What Jesus said makes sense. He says, the son of man, the Messiah, the king of kings, the one who will make everything right, he must suffer and he must die because there is a debt that you owe God that you simply cannot pay. Guys, the forgiver always suffers. Jesus came to forgive every one of our sins, all of them. So here's what he's telling us. He says, the only way I can forgive all of your sins is to suffer in your place. Because either you pay for your sin, which is going to cost way more than you can give, 
or I will. So, there are these biggest of all questions. And how you answer these questions is going to define you. And eventually, God is going to have an answer. He will. Who do you think Jesus is? Really? Are you willing to take a stand for it? No matter what those around you think? What kind of a Messiah do you think he is? Are you willing to allow him to be the kind of Messiah who must suffer and must die because you acknowledge that his agenda is way bigger than yours? Are you willing to follow him even if it's not the kind of God that you think he ought to be? Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to follow him anywhere? Because that's where Jesus goes next. He closes the scene by turning to the crowds that are always following him. And he says to this, he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Are you willing? You must take up your cross daily because it's going to cost you. And you must follow, not try to lead. You must follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you try to give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what does it benefit you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Are you willing to follow him? Are you? Wherever, however, whatever it costs. Listen, guys. It will make you better. It'll make you way better at life. And it'll open the door for eternal life.